You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. Scripture reading this morning is from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with many business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase, and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. This is the word of the Lord for our church, and is given for our good. Well, thank you so much, Caitlin. Let's pray and turn our attention to this passage. Lord, we will let our words be few this morning. Speak. We know we need to listen. Speak clearly, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. I don't know if anyone has ever heard of what is popularly known as the Streisand effect. The Streisand effect happens when an individual wants to hide, remove, or censor some piece of information that has gone public, but in the attempt to hide, remove, or censor the information, they inadvertently further publicize the information. This phenomenon is called the Streisand effect because years ago the uh, the actress Amer- uh, the singer Barbara Streisand sued a company for publishing a photo of her home in Malibu. She wanted to protect her privacy, so she filed a lawsuit because they had made this photo public. But in filing the lawsuit, she attracted far more attention to the location of her residence than would have happened if she just ignored the photo being made public. The Streisand effect happens often in law during defamation lawsuits where someone is so angry about a bad review left online or an inflammatory post left that they seek to sue somebody to try to hide that information to get the, the false review taken down. But in the lawsuit, they end up attracting far more attention to the negative review than had they just simply dropped the case. A popular way of saying this is that there is a time in which the cure becomes worse than the disease. There is a type of treatment to problems which create greater problems than the original problem themselves. We've been looking at this book, Ecclesiastes. It's attributed to a man called the preacher who was also the shepherd king of Israel. And the preacher wants us to gain wisdom. He wants us to to receive his life lessons so that we might walk with wisdom in our world today. And he has noted that our world has a frustrating tenor to it. It has a frustrating feel. He uses this word vanity, the Hebrew word hevel, this idea that life is like a a puff of smoke. It's, It's mysterious. 
And he wants us to think through ways in which we can conduct ourselves and live the good life in a world that feels like smoke. And in our passage, he goes after religion. He says he speaks of going to the house of God in verse 1, clearly referring to the temple of the Old Testament. And in this passage, the preacher is going to argue that there's a way in which we can experience something like the Streisand effect when we're at church. That there's a way to go to church, to think we're solving some of our life's big problems, to think we're getting God on our side, we're getting him off our case, only to forget that he knows our hearts and we've created a greater problem for ourselves as we come together in church to worship and to commune with our God. Maybe another way to think of this is, uh, I'm sure many of you know someone who in the midst of a surgery in the hospital came down with something like a staph infection. And the infection ended up becoming more severe than the reason they went into surgery in the first place. I know these are rare situations, but they do happen. The preacher is telling us that there's a type of illness that can come upon you, which is worse than some of the treatment. The preacher is saying what we are doing right now, there's a way to participate in this, to join together with us in worship and to walk away with a staph infection that is far worse than your health condition as you came to church. It's possible to come in, to sing, to say hi, to fellowship, and to walk out with a potentially lethal spiritual sickness. And the preacher wants us to see two warning signs that our spirituality is becoming toxic, that it's becoming counterproductive. He wants us to see that there's a time in which our spirituality starts to become narcissistic, and there's a time when our spirituality starts to become manipulative. And when we see any of those two things, we should realize our pursuits of religion, our pursuits of knowing God, are actually becoming toxic. They're becoming counterproductive. So the first warning sign of when our spirituality becomes toxic is that it takes a narcissistic turn. We start participating in a narcissistic spirituality. Now, where do we see this? It might be a little unclear at first, but... The passage starts with the preacher saying, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. He's saying, be careful when you come to worship and interact with the God who created this world. But then he has so much to say about words. Verse 2, be not rash with your mouth, nor make your, may your heart be hasty to utter words to God. Let your words be few. Verse 3, a fool's voice comes with many words. Then he summarizes his, his wisdom that he's passing on in verse 7 by saying, when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. God must be feared. Now, what is going on? The preacher is telling us something that we know. We all know what it's like to have that friend who comes to a meeting with us mid-story, who doesn't stop talking to ask how you are doing. One time, Kim and I were on a long road trip, and we had a guest in the car with us, and the guest did not stop talking from the time we left our house to the time we arrived at our destination. The guest even continued to carry on the conversation while I was pumping gas. My wife Kim's the witness. The preacher is warning us that there is a type of spirituality that minimizes God. This narcissistic approach to spirituality. A type of spirituality that comes to church ready to do great things for God. To offer worship to God. To think seriously about the things of God. But there's a way to do that that is all about self. The pastor and scholar Eugene Peterson put it this way when he said, We've all met a certain type of spiritual person. She's a wonderful person. She loves the Lord. She prays and reads the Bible all the time. But all she thinks about is herself. She's not a selfish person, but she's always at the center of everything she is doing. 
The preacher is giving us a warning. He's saying this is a foolish approach to wisdom. This is a frustrating world. And if you want to gain the benefits that come from coming into the household of God, this is a toxic way to do it. To come in with this narcissistic twist. To come in and to listen to the music, to hear the prayers, but the whole time be hearing the imperfections and thinking of all the ways in which you're not impressed by the prayer. There's a type of spirituality that is so toxic. It believes that maturity comes when you have the ability to see all the faults in every other person but your own. The preacher is saying this is toxic. This is just like narcissism. The fool does it and they don't even realize it. But their worship is just an act of self-justification. Uh, self saying, I, I am certainly the person God is interested in. And the preacher is telling us that this, a tox, this toxic approach to religion will attract attention to you from God. But it's not the attention you want. This is a fool's religion. And God is not pleased with it. So what does the preacher want us to do? He wants us to come into the house of God ready to listen. To receive. And to receive with humility. Why don't we like the perpetual talker? Because we know the perpetual talker speaks because he loves to hear his own voice. He doesn't care about others. He doesn't listen. He listens simply to respond and add his voice to the conversation. So also, when you come to worship, do not be the narcissistic worshiper, the one who sings and prays and listens to sermons and assumes ultimately your ideas about the prayers, the songs, the sermons, that this is why God is pleased with you. Your critical thinking skills are what God is loved. I once was put, given a seat at a table at a dinner with a famous person, a very famous person, at least in, a small, in smaller circles. And when you ever are around a very famous person, you'll notice a trend that comes. People will constantly accidentally bump into that famous person and they will make fools of themselves trying to win them over with small talk and telling them about uh, themselves so that the famous person might see value and want to get to know the other individual. If you were ever given a dinner seat with a CEO, with the queen, with someone like Elon Musk, you would let your words be few if you were wise. Because the person's influence and power and statue are so proportionally different than yours that wisdom would dictate that you would not talk all night, but you would sit and listen. If they intend to give you any wisdom, you would take it in. Well, the difference between you and, say, the queen or you and Elon Musk it's only a matter of a multiplier. They only have a, a multiplication of influence and power and wealth more than you. But the difference between you and the infinite God, the one who made all the stars you see at night, is exponentially, is infinitely more distinct. God is infinitely more distinct from you. So stop your blabbing. Religion isn't about you. God's not impressed. Come to listen. So do you prepare to receive? Do you listen to understand? Or do you simply listen to respond? Watch out. There's a narcissistic spirituality that will creep into your life if you are not careful. And it will become toxic. And it would be better for you not to participate in religion at all. 
but your spirituality also can become toxic when it takes a manipulative turn. This is what the preacher is talking about in verses 4 and following, where he talks about making vows, which are public promises before witnesses to God. This would have been done at the temple, and it seems as though the temple had officials who would have, their jobs were to hear the vow, maybe to record the vow, to ensure that the, imper- the person who made the vow follows through with their promise. Now, the preacher is not against making vows, and nor has the church been historically. We take vows for marriage and baptism and membership and ordination. But the preacher is against taking hasty vows of ignoring your vows, and especially of taking vows like, God, if you will help me get out of this tight financial spot, this difficult business situation, I promise I will give you 10% of all my earnings for the rest of my life. The preacher wants us to see a problem. When we cry out to God in desperation, God, give me a child, give me an advancement in my career, and if you do that, I will serve you all the days of my life. The preacher wants us to see that this can take a form of manipulation, of using God if we do not intend to fulfill our vows. So do not take vows hastily. The Catholic comedian Jim Gaffigan has one of the best skits about this. It's in a video online uh, through his uh, stand-up. You can see it on YouTube. I believe the album is called Obsessed. But he has a stand-up routine where he talks about what it feels like to have five kids in public. And he said when you bump into people, people always ask him, Oh, five kids, you must be very religious. He says as though religion somehow necessitates having five kids. If anything, he says, it's actually the opposite. Once you've had four or five kids, he says, you slowly start becoming religious. He makes the case, if you've ever lost a child in the mall, atheist or not, he says, you start talking to God right away. Now, he has this funny voice, this funny prayer voice that he gives in the stand-up bit that I can't mimic. But he says that the prayers go something like this, hey, God... I know we haven't talked in a while since I finished finals in high school, to be honest. But anyway, if you could help me find my son, I promise I'll change my life. I'll start going to church. Oh, there's my son. Never mind, God. Talk to you later when I come down with cancer. Now, this bit is so good because the audience laughs and laughs and then the laughter fades because he's exposing a nerve. He is too accurate. He points out that we only reach out to God when we're in the midst of a crisis. And then he said, how do you think this makes God feel? It must be so annoying. He then has another voice he uses to represent God. And he uh, says, God must be thinking, well, 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 you know, someone comes down with the big C and all of a sudden they turn into Billy Graham. I seem to remember you were not that interested in me and said I didn't exist in university. The skit's hilarious. I can't properly uh, uh, mimic it. You can find it actually on YouTube very easily. But no one says it better than Gaffigan. This is so brilliant and people are listening and Gaffigan is making the preacher's point. It's something we can all do. We can catch ourselves making these rash vows to God, manipulating and bartering with God. You, You know it's coming when you hear someone saying, God, if you just... Or, I will never, I will always. The second you hear these things, you should say, hold up. This is not a path you want to go down. God, if you get rid of my anxiety, if you help us finally buy a house, if you give me peace in the house, then I will. You should cut these people off mid-sentence. Vows are healthy, but don't barter with God. Do you know who you're bartering with? You when you attempt to barter with God, are showing forth the fact that you don't want God, you just want stuff from God. He's a means to an end to you, and you are attempting to manipulate him, and he sees right through it. 
You don't see God as beautiful, but you see him as useful, and he will not put up with it. What are you doing? The preacher would ask. Are you assuming God could be manipulated? As though somehow you could hold one over him? And are you assuming God's so stingy that he needs to be bought off with your good behavior? You fool. True religion isn't about bartering, but it's about knowing that you have no chips, no cash in your pocket to barter with. It's about finding yourself empty-handed and coming before God willing to receive, humbly asking for mercy, putting yourself in the pathway of the tsunami of God's grace that crashes into your life. Listen, the immune-compromised person is foolish to walk around the hospital without extreme precautions. The preacher is saying, you have something like an immune-compromised problem. Be very careful before you make these vows in the house of God. So what vows, what deals have you made with God in your life that you've been hasty? Maybe some that you need today to start fulfilling. If your spirituality includes barter and manipulation, the preacher is saying, watch out. The solution has become worse than the disease. So what is the solution? If fear of staph infection is so high, why go to the hospital? Should we avoid the hospital altogether? No, that is not what the preacher is recommending. He's not saying, because you can do damage at church, stay away from church. He wants you to experience a fundamental heart shift, a shift that comes when we properly fear God. When we stand in awe and reverence that he is so infinitely more powerful, so infinitely more great than the greatest person we could ever encounter on earth. And this should render us speechless. He is the one who created Andromeda and all the galaxies. He's the one who fine-tuned all the molecules spinning around our world at this very second. And he interacts with the people he made in his own image. So stand in awe. Fear him, as we read in verse 7. How are we to do that? If you realize your spirituality has taken a narcissistic turn, you talk without thinking, you sing without thinking, and you assume God is very pleased with you and that you can pull one over him, stop. There is nothing more holy for you today to do than to be still and to listen. The difference between you and God is so much infinitely greater than the difference between you and the most powerful person in this world. Stop in your tracks. But also, if you catch yourself participating in something like manipulation, ask yourself, do I really believe I can hold one over God and trick him? Do I really believe I have what it takes to trick him, to put him in my debts? Do I really believe also the God who sent his son to take on human flesh and to die for my sins. Do I believe this God is stingy? You see, when you become fully aware of the distance between you and God, the infinite distance, and you become fully aware of the debts that you hold, the negative status that you have in your relationship with God, when you see these things clearly, but you realize that the God who is infinitely distant from you became infinitely close to you by sending his son to become a real and true human being. And that same God, who is also infinitely greater than you, holds more power than you, that you will never hold in your debt, and in fact, the one that you have failed and attempted to manipulate, when you realize he sent his son not to barter with you, to make some kind of deal with you, but he sent his son to you when you were on the ground, absolutely bankrupt, with nothing to your name, 
to die on a cross, that you might have all of your sins forgiven, that you might be wiped clean of all of your death and have the status of a well-loved son like his son, Jesus. When these two things are held together, the distance between you and God, but the ways God has bridged that distance and the debt between you and God and the ways in which God has recovered that, not through your hasty vows, but through the work of his well son, well-loved son. When you realize these two things, they, become, they make a chemical reaction in your heart that explodes. They become a cocktail that dances on your palate. God's love is so incredibly great for you. So why would you come blabbing to him, assuming that somehow you're impressing him? And why would you come to try to manipulate him, assuming you could put him in your debts? God sent his son not to barter with us, but to give his life for our bankruptcy. God sent his son, not because he was impressed by our many words, but because our words were so very unimpressive. And the preacher wants us to get in touch with how small and helpless we are and to come to the household of God and to acknowledge our hypocrisy, to acknowledge our horrible performance and our limited position and to stand before God empty-handed. And the preacher knows it's only then that we will receive his great mercy we will receive his great grace. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at christchurchtoronto.ca or email us at info at christchurchtoronto.ca.